And I don't know what you think about the process of teaching and preaching, but there's quite a process to selecting a series that you possibly will go through for, for several weeks. And so uh, I had quite the time with the Lord um, selecting this next series, and it was sort of a, a well-marinated process of what we were going to talk about because I thought I knew, and God pivoted me a couple times. And so honestly, this next series that we're going to go through has come out of the previous series about talking about sanctification and going onward. And I was inspired by one character in Scripture. And maybe you've heard of him. His name is Enoch. You ever heard of Enoch? I was inspired by Enoch because I was reading that portion of Scripture again in Genesis chapter 5. And it's it's so unique. We don't know a lot about Enoch, but what we know about Enoch is very profound. (coughs) Excuse me. In Genesis chapter 5, it says, When Enoch had lived, lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Now, what do we know about Methuselah? Does anybody know the trivia about Methuselah? Oldest, Oldest person of all time. How old was he? Does anyone know the exact Nine, years? Close. Not quite. 969, I think it was. 969. And that's pretty old. That's pretty old. And his, his father only lived to be 365. That's not that old. But we find out in Genesis 5 that Enoch, after he fathered Methuselah, and Enoch, notice the phrase, he walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365, 365 years. And there he says it again, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, there's a couple ways to think about that last phrase, going, well, did his heart just stop? Did his heart just give out? And he, he died instantly at 365 years. But we know a little bit more about Enoch because he's brought up again in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, it refers to, he, to Enoch in the Hall of Faith chapter. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. is it talks about many men and women who had great faith in their God. And it brings up Enoch in verse 5. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up to be with God. Taken up so that he should not see death. Enoch didn't die. He was brought from this earth to the presence of God, and he was not found because God had taken him. Isn't that interesting? Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So you put these two passages together, and Enoch lived to 365 years, and then God took him from this planet. And I don't know exactly what that looked like, but one day, Enoch vanished. And he was taken up with God because he had walked with God and he had pleased God. And I just thought, man, that's such an inspiring, motivating thing as we enter into the new year. And so we're going to sort of flesh out what it means to walk with God over several weeks. And this is going to be a long, probably a long several week, maybe a few months study that we're going to do about walking with God. And it's sort of going to be linear. We're going to go as kind of like a journey as we start with God at really at the beginning of our time with God, and then we're going to work on to how we form our relationship with Jesus Christ and become mature in Jesus. So I, I don't want to be held bound to these, but he's kind of the, the thought process that I had about this series, and I told you it's a little bit linear, and you can take a mental snapshot of that picture, but I will say this, that that could change. These titles could change. We could add a couple onto that. We could do a couple part ones and twos. To that series, but I have this idea of what it's going to, I'm going to answer this question. What does it look like to walk with God? Not just know him, not just believe in him, but what does it look like to walk with God? That's where we're kind of going with this series today. 
And so we're going to start here with number one. We're going to start at the beginning, as you might expect. Where should you start when you talk about God? We're going to start at the beginning with creation. But most of you are thinking, well, he forgot his icebreaker. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't forget my icebreaker. I did that one week, but JP holds me accountable now. And, uh, and I, I thought about this question. A lot of us are hikers. We like to go hiking or walking in the woods, things like that. If you could pick anybody in history to go on a hike with, who would it be? Think about that question just for a moment. Who would you go on a hike with if you could pick anybody in history? Now, I know the easy answer is Jesus Christ. Of course, we would all answer that. We're good Christians. But if I removed him as a possibility, who would you choose from history to go on a hike with? Talk about anything. Ask him any questions. Assuming they were alive. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a list of people that I would like to go on a hike with if I could. And most of these people are impossible to do that. But I still think it'd be interesting. I'm going to start with number one, Neil Armstrong. You guys know Neil Armstrong, right? The guy who landed on the moon? I would like to go on a hike with Neil Armstrong because I would love to ask him a thousand questions about the moon. I, th I think that'd be interesting. My twins are very curious. Maybe they get that from their daddy. I'm curious about the moon. I would love to ask him just a bunch of questions about that whole thing that happened there. Like, what does the moon smell like? Is there a smell on the moon? What does it smell like? Is the moon prettier than Iowa? I want to know that answer. I'm curious about that answer. Now, I would like to ask him, were you nervous that you'd lock your keys inside the spaceship when you're on the moon and not be able to return? There's just a bunch of questions I have about the moon. I'd love to ask Neil Armstrong. How about this one? Number two, Christopher Columbus. Wouldn't that be interesting to go on a hike with Christopher Columbus? Because the last time he was sort of doing something like that, exploring, he found America. I would just like to see what Christopher Columbus could find along that hike. Maybe he'd find a new America. And I'd be a part of that. It'd be amazing. Christopher Columbus would probably find some really cool things. Uh, number three, Moses. I think it'd be cool to go on a hike with Moses because if we ever got into a jam, a sticky place, I'm pretty sure he could get us out of it. And uh, that'd be interesting to go on a hike with Moses. What about this one? George Washington. I would like to go on a hike with George Washington up Mount Washington. Not hike this time. I want to go on the auto road with Mount Washington because I want to get a bumper sticker that says, this car climbed Mount Washington with George Washington. I think I'd have the only one who had that bumper sticker. Uh, number five, I'd like to go on a hike with Elvis because I want to ask him what he did with all the moose. I think Elvis knows where the moose are. I really do. And I'd like to ask him. Number six, I'd like to go on a hike with Einstein. Uh, not for the reasons you might think, not because he's smart. I just want to make a joke. And I just want to make the same joke all day long. I wanted to be able to say to him, nice job getting us lost, Einstein. <laughs> I just want to make that joke over and over, all day long, until he slaps me. How about this one, number seven, Tom Brady. Some of us like Tom Brady still, yeah? Monica, you're a fan? I want to spend the entire time on the hike trying to convince him to come back for one more year I think he's got a little bit in the tank at age 95. And just one more here, Tom Brady. Back to the Patriots. How about number eight? I want to go on a hike with Marco Polo. That's right. I want to keep getting lost. And I want to keep yelling, Marco! And just see if he'd answer back, Polo. And I could possibly find him. Number nine, I want to go on a hike with Gandhi. Because I think he'd let me have all the berries we find. I just do. I don't think he'd eat the berries, so I would be able to eat all the berries. And number 10, I'd like to go on a hike with both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The same time, the same hike, and whoever gets to the top first gets the Oval Office because it would be me. I would be president. 
because I can out-hike both those guys, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and maybe save this country. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but the obvious answer to that is obviously the Lord. You'd love to go on a hike with the Lord, wouldn't you? You'd love to take a walk with him and, and pick his brain and ask him questions. Well, we don't have to imagine that. And that's where we're headed today. We can actually do this because Enoch did it. Enoch spent his whole life, most of his life, walking with God. And I think that's a tremendous thing that I want to sort of, I want to use it for my own benefit. It's, it's something that I think that I know and maybe I don't know. So we're going to spend a several week series talking about what does it mean to walk with God. And we're going to start right at the beginning with creation. So if you have your notes, there's going to be a three-point outline today that we're going to follow. Number one is our maker. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, our design. And number three, our purpose. Our maker, our design, and our purpose. Let's start with our maker. Our maker. God is our maker, isn't he? He's our creator. Most of us believe that. Now, do you notice this handsome chap here? Does anyone know who that is? Anyone want to take a stab at it? You. That's me. That's your pastor. All, the, all of those pictures are me. On the left, there's a little foreshadowing of my hairline. Would one day make a reappearance. This middle one, I think I look a little bit like Marcus. Anyone else see that? I'm looking a little bit more like Marcus. And there I am in a wedding at age five or six on the right. And the question is, who's responsible for this guy? Who's, who's responsible for Todd? Whether you like Todd or not, um, I'm not to blame for bringing Todd into the world, am I? I'm not. I just arrived here one day. And uh, you, could, you could blame my mom. If you don't like the way I, I go and the way I think, you could blame my mom because my mom had part of that process bringing me into the world. But someone created me. Just like you, someone created you. Someone brought you into this world. And you didn't have a say in the matter, did you? God created you and brought you into this world. And of course your parents had a process in that. But we have a question. I think most of mankind has asked this question at some point and probably is still asking this question. Because it's like the meaning of life question. Where did we come from? Why are we here? How did we get here? And what's the purpose? And generally speaking, when we try to answer that question, we look into the cosmos. We, we try to answer with creation itself, going, man, if, if only we stare at the stars enough, and only if we look at, at, at geometry and astronomy enough, we could figure out this question, where did we come from? But that's not the right answer, is it? Because that's not how we find the answer for where did we come from. We have to ask the person responsible for creating it all. And thankfully, we can, because God's word brings us right to this question. As you open your Bible to page number one, when you come to Genesis number one, he doesn't even leave you hanging. He, he gives us the answer to this question. It says in Genesis 1, you can jump around. We're going to jump around a little bit today. I hope that's okay. We're not going to do that every time. But today, for our, for our lesson today, we're going to jump around quite a bit. So you can either follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. But in Genesis chapter 1, we're very familiar with this passage. It says, in the beginning. And the word Genesis really just means beginning. Genesis is all about the beginning. How did everything start? Everything happened. In the beginning, here's the answer. How did we come to be? God created. But I want you to notice something even before the God created part. Notice what it says. In the beginning, God. That's profound, isn't it? In the beginning, God. And we have to assume when looking at that phrase that there's someone there in the beginning. Before everything began, God is there. And if God is there at the beginning, of course he's responsible for everything that we have today. Because he's there at the beginning. And it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't have to guess, do we? We don't have to look into the cosmos. We simply open the Bible and the scripture speaks and says God is responsible for creating everything good that we know, both in heaven and on earth. 
verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, had no form. It was formless. It was void. The word void means lacking. And darkness was over the face of the deep. There's not much there, is there, at the beginning? There's no form, there's void, there's lacking, and there's darkness everywhere. It's a, it's a wasteland of nothing. At the beginning, there was nothing. And so the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And in verse 3, God said, let there be light. The first thing he does is when he comes upon what we know as the universe, and there's darkness and void and formlessness, he creates light. And as soon as he says, let there be light, there is light. Now, most of us think when we hear this passage, at least I did growing up, that that has to be referring to the sun, right? The greatest light in our universe. Possibly. That God brought light. The first thing he did is say, here, they need a sun. Let's make the sun the first thing. But if, if, as you read Genesis 1, in a few verses, he's going to sort of tell us that, that he's going to create the sun and the moon and the stars. So either he's being a little bit redundant or he means something a little bit different here when he says, let there be light. Maybe he didn't create anything, Genesis 1-3. Maybe what he did and maybe what he's referring to is a different light. Maybe he's talking about the true light, the light of the world. Maybe what he's really saying is, because there's nothing and there's void and darkness, I'm going to send the one who can fix and create everything. And that is the light, the Son of God. Well, sure, you can make that assumption. I mean, I, I can at least make that guess, but I don't think it is a guess, because in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we have a parallel passage. Right at the beginning of John's Gospel, John is also telling what happened at the beginning. And he says this in verse 1. He says, in the beginning, the Genesis, was the Word. Notice it again. In the beginning, there is someone or something called the Word. So the Word is there at the beginning. And the Word was with God, because God's there at the beginning. But also notice this. The Word was God. That's a very powerful proof text for the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Because he is referring to Jesus Christ here. He is referring to the Word because the entire Gospel of John is about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And notice in verse 3, all things were made through him. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Every single part of creation owes its glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life, notice it, was the light of men. So if you put these passages together, what is God telling us? That in the beginning, he didn't create anything. He sent Jesus. In the beginning was darkness and void, and, and there was no form, and he sent the light. And the light is the creator of everything that we know. Now, you could also say God the Father created the world, and you would not be wrong. Because as we're going to learn later on, they're, they're together, aren't they? God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are together. And we're going to see the word are in a bit, where they're talking about creating the world. So you could also be right in saying God the Father created the world. But I believe he handed everything over to Jesus Christ and said, you do it. I'm going to send light. And the light is going to bring everything into creation that we want, that we desire. Now we live in one of, the, I think, the most beautiful parts of the world, definitely the country, if my screen will show up there. Come on now. 
Come on, this is going to be a lot of suspense here. I have a picture waiting. Okay, let's go forward and back. Oh, God. Oh, cheated. Uh, there we are. There we are in the North Country. Some beauty to behold, right? And we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the country, if not the world. And it's stunning, isn't it? I mean, just drive around, walk around, take a hike. You're going to see something truly stunning. We got the Artist's Bluff over here. We got Mount Washington. And we got Sasquatch over here on the right. And there's just beauty everywhere. And do you ever ask the question when you're walking around going, man, this is, this is breathtaking. Who's responsible for all this? You certainly don't walk around New Hampshire and go, wow, that must have been some explosion. <laughs> because look at all the beauty around us. Now, you might. You might if you listen to the science books of today. But I don't think anybody with a right mind would, would say such a thing. Because you probably have heard this before. Many, many pastors have already brought this point up. But if you see a gorgeous painting... Do you think in your mind that paint must have exploded or matter must have exploded and created that painting? Do you come to a gorgeous structure or a gorgeous building and go, wow, now that was an awesome explosion of metal that made that? No, certainly you go, wow, there must be a tremendous, profound creator for those structures and for those paintings. In fact, one of I think is interesting and maybe even ironic is there's something in this universe called supermassive black holes. You guys ever heard of this? And they're convinced that these things exist but they've never seen one. Do you know that? Scientists have never seen one. This is, this is a guess, this picture. This is not an actual picture of a black hole because there are no pictures of black holes because no one's ever seen a black hole. But scientists are convinced that black holes exist. Why? Because the evidence is so clear. They must exist because the evidence is so clear in our estimation that black holes must exist. Now, I'm not here to convince you that black holes exist. But I think it's a little ironic that we're willing to assume that there are black holes that exist, even though we've never seen them. But we, when we see the beauty of creation, we will make an assumption that everything is random and chaotic and something exploded in space. And of course, if you're here today, I'm probably preaching to the choir. Most of us would not assume that there was a big bang at all. We wouldn't say that God created the world, the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Maybe you've heard the phrase, don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? Because if we're created beings, then we have someone to thank for that. We have someone to bow for that. There is a creator who has created every single person in this room with your mind, with your personality, with your DNA. And he's, he's magnificent because you're special. Every single person sitting in this room is unique. There are no two alike, even though I have identical twins, Titus and Levi. They're about as close as you can get to two people being identical, but they're not in every sense because I know Titus and Levi, and there's great differences between these two boys. Guys, wave your hands so everybody knows who I'm. I'm not just talking to random chairs. There they are. <laughs> Titus and Levi, identical twins, and yet different. Different personalities find some different things funny, or have different interests. And God is so powerful to create something so magnificent in this world as you and I. And the way that we treat God sometimes is just not what we should say. We should give all glory and honor to him for creating us. And yet we often do the opposite, right? In fact, 2,000 years ago, when the creator came to this world, what happened to him? They put him on a cross and they crucified him. It's the opposite of what should happen, isn't it? In Psalm 100 that we just quoted, we're going to come back to that verse. We should give the Lord the opposite of that. We should give him all the praise and the glory that he deserves because he is our maker. I love Colossians chapter 1. I, I, I flirted with going through the book of Colossians because I love this book. 
And in Colossians chapter 1, I want you to listen to it again. I don't want you to take my word for it, but we're going to find out that Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. In Colossians chapter 1, he says he, and he is referring to Jesus Christ, and all you have to do to find, figure that out is read Colossians 1, because right before that he said, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And right after that, he says he. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, God is invisible to us. We have never laid eyes upon God, and yet we have an image of him, don't we? You guys know what an image is. We take images a lot of days of our lives. We take pictures and snapshots of creation and of our family. Well, Jesus Christ is the image of that invisible God. He came to this earth so that we know exactly what God is like. And thankfully, we have his life recorded. We have his ministry recorded. We have his teachings recorded so that we know exactly how God thinks. Because he told us. He sent his son to reveal to us exactly what God is like. So we have his image. He is the firstborn of all creation. And really, I think that means is he was there before everything. Before everything else was created, Jesus Christ was there. The light came into the world. For by him, notice it, all things were created. All of it. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether it's visible to us or invisible to us like black holes, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Do you think about that a lot? That Jesus Christ is not only your savior, but your maker, your creator. The very reason you're here is Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice that last phrase in verse 16. Not only were we created through him, we were created for him. Boy, doesn't that put everything into, into perspective? Doesn't that put everything where it goes, where it belongs? When we realize that not only is Jesus Christ our maker, but that he made us for himself. Now, we run to and fro on this earth going a thousand different directions. We like to do different things. We like to spend our time chasing certain successes and glories and friends and toys in this life. But how often do we pause and think to ask our creator, what do you want? What is it you put me here for? Because according to the word of God, Christ is the absolute owner of everything. Do you believe that? In fact, I'm going to say it this way. Christ twice owns us. He created us, every one of us. And then when we were sinners, when we had rebelled against God, what did he do? He redeemed us. He bought us back from the enemy, from the devil. So Christ twice owns those who believe. He's our maker and he's our redeemer. And I think that's a powerful thing to maybe just be reminded of today because it puts everything into perspective that Jesus Christ, you are the reason we are here today. And I asked Kevin to read Psalm 100 because I think Psalm 100 is the antithesis for what they should have done when the creator came to this world 2,000 years ago. This is what should have happened, right? We sang about joy to the world during Christmas. This is exactly what should have happened when the Christ came to this earth. The psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's cool that he's describing my singing there. Because <laughs> that's exactly what my singing sounds like. It's a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Is he worthy of that? Is our maker, is our redeemer worthy of joyful 
glad singing and noises? I believe that he absolutely is. The psalmist thought so because of who he is. He says in verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. Our Lord, the Lord, he is God. He is the God of all creation. He's the maker of the ends of the earth. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. Aren't you thankful that you belong to him? Aren't you thankful you don't belong to anyone else? Aren't you thankful that our Lord is good? Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Boy, I'm so thankful that my maker is good. I'm so thankful that his reason for putting me here upon the earth has good intentions, has steadfast love surrounding my purpose. Because where would I be if my maker wasn't good? Where would any of us be if he wasn't good, if his steadfast love did not endure forever? Are you here today? If God's love doesn't touch every part of your life, are you here sitting here today? The answer is no, you're not. None of us are. This would be a big smoking crater. So the psalmist believes that he's worthy of praise, and thankfully we get to do that every time we gather together. We get to praise our God for whom he is, what he's done, everything that we have we owe to him. And I think that's a powerful reminder simply today to reflect on our maker. Let's now talk about our design. We all believe that Jesus is our maker, that God is our maker. I hope we do. I hope we understand that by now. Let's talk about our design. I'm going to show you a picture of some of my favorite designs of all time. Okay, now here on the left is the first car that I ever bought. It's a 2002 Pontiac Grand Prix. I used my own money to buy that car, and I thought that car was awesome. It was a big magnet, Joel. I think I had two dates. I loved that car. That car was amazing. In fact, when I, when I came to Michigan and met Janine, she couldn't resist because of that car, and, and we got married. And I loved that car. I was able to blow by semis on the highway. I just had a little bit of muscle in that car. It was black. It was just kind of sporty looking. I just really liked that car. And then sadly, when I went to Michigan, it died. I had to give it up. I also, like you guys know, that I, I, I used to be an email machine when I had this thing called a BlackBerry. If you guys ever get strange texts and emails from me, I'm sorry. I don't have a physical keyboard anymore, and I'm not very good at email like I used to be. Because back in the day, I used to send out emails like a boss. I was fantastic at sending texts and emails because I had this thing called a BlackBerry. Of course, I'm joking. These, these two are not my favorite design. My favorite design begins and ends with my family. My wife, my children... And I'm going to be honest, sometimes I just look at my family and I just awe. I awe at their beauty. I awe at the fact that, that God gave me eight children. And sometimes when I'm going to down to check on them while they're asleep, I just, I just stand there and I pray and I thank the Lord for the beauty and, and the health of my family because he has really blessed me with truly beautiful designs. Has he you? Do you have beautiful designs around you in your life? I believe that we do. In fact, there are some very talented people in this world with very tremendous abilities and here's a couple examples of someone who has tremendous talent and, and can weave together beautiful patterns and designs now again would anyone come up to these and go man what a great explosion that was that created such beautiful intricate designs no of course you would go up and go man who made those 
Who is the creator? Who is responsible for those? Because they're so intricate. They're so finely woven. They're so breathtaking. And I don't have any of those skills. So when I see things like this, I marvel. Because it's so intricate. But what's more intricate than our universe? Is there anything? Can, I mean, do you ever just stare at the sky and just awe? Do you ever just watch documentaries about space and just worship because of how vast, how magnificent, how majestic, how breathtaking it is? And then go, man, our creator is amazing. He is someone to behold and to worship and to praise and to serve. Because that's what I do when I look into space. I just worship for who that he is because that's so intricate and so complex and so beautiful that my creator must be even more so if he can create something so majestic. But did you know there's someone, something that God created that even surpasses the beauty of creation? Of the universe, excuse me? Because there is. In Genesis chapter 1, if we keep reading in chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Notice the word are there. Our image. The Godhead is speaking here. And he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Notice what he didn't say that about. He didn't say that about space. He didn't say that about the earth. He didn't say that about animals. What did he say it about? Man. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now, we should stop and awe at that fact. That you and I not only were created by the majestic, holy, almighty God, but that he made us like him. He made us after his image, after his likeness. And I still can't quite fathom that thought. That I was made like God. I was made to think like God, to look like God, to be like God. That's how God desired to design mankind. And then he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Because that's what God has, doesn't he? He has dominion. Our God has dominion over everything. Therefore, upon the earth, since we're made in his likeness and his image, he gave us dominion and authority over everything. And he said, the earth is yours. Because I'm going to make you like me. You're going to be a parallel for what I am for the universe. And you're going to think and act like me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. No matter what society is telling us today, there's two. Okay? Two genders. There's male and there's female. There's no third option and there's no swapsies. Okay? It's male and female. So how God created you is how God exactly wanted you to be. And I need you to hear that crystal clearly. God did not make mistakes. He's perfect. He's holy. He's beautiful. And when he designs, he designs with love. He created them in his own image. Now, the human brain is complex, isn't it? The human brain, I don't know if you've done any study on the human brain, but it is complex. I don't even realize if we know what's happening inside our brains throughout the day. But there's a lot happening. And I saw a picture on this. I don't know if you can exactly tell what's going on, but they listed nine things, at least nine things that happens because of the brain. Number one, our eye and our head movements, all thanks to the brain. Number two, behavior and emotion, thanks to the brain. Number three, our speech, what I'm doing right now, thanks to the brain. Number four, hearing is a credit to the brain. Five, our basic movements. I mean, move your hand right now. Did you think about doing that? Did you tell your hand to do something? You did? 
<laughs> he said a, ver a, a verbal command, move hand. No, of course, you just thought it with your brain and you did it. How about sensation? That's all due to the brain. Visual recognition. Vision. Our vision comes from our brain mostly. Balance and muscle coordination, if we still have it. Some of us. All comes to the brain. The brain is so complex. In fact, I found this quote from a scientist, and I thought this was such a unique quote. He said, the human brain is by far the most complex physical object known to us in the entire cosmos. One human brain is more complex than the entire cosmos put together. Do you notice what God did when he created us? He spent all his creative energy and love in creating you and I. Does he love us? Does he love us? I mean, that very fact that he would do that means he loves us beyond anything else of all creation. It's been said that mankind is the apple of God's eye. And I really believe that it is. Because he put all of his complexity, all of his love, all of his detail, all of his beauty into the brain and the people that he loves and cherishes. And I just, I was worshiping as I was putting this sermon together just to realize that I'm like God in some way. In some shape, in some form, I'm like God. And the rest of creation doesn't get to say that. But I do, and you do, because God loves me that much. He created me to be like him. Genesis chapter 5, here's another account of creation. In Genesis 5, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him notice it in the likeness of God. Male and female, once again, two. He created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. It's not very profound how we start, is it? We're dust. Dust and dust is something that we vacuum up in our house and then we get rid of it. We don't put it on a shelf. It's not that glorifying. But when you think about this concept of God taking dust, something insignificant and then making it the most significant thing he ever created, it's powerful, isn't it? Because that's what our God does. He takes the mundane, he takes the nothing, and he makes it glory. Because it glorifies him. When we look at it, go we'll realize we're dust put together, crafted by God, and we have the breath of life, and we have eternal eternity within our souls. We have to give glory to God, because only our God can do that. Only God could take dust and make it the most beautiful part of creation. But he did. And now not only are we alive, but we are made to be and think like our God. It's such a privilege, and I'm sure it's a privilege. I know my dad experienced this too, when your children kind of turn out like you a little bit, right, Christy? I think when dad said, I'm proud of you, what he really was saying is, good job looking like me. Um, really what I'm saying is I'm proud of me, and I'm thankful that you got on board with that. Um, and I get that as a dad, I really do. Like, I, I forced my kids into these pictures. They didn't want to do it. Um, because I wanted, to, I wanted to imagine sort of my kids following in my footsteps, you know? I think every dad and, and mom probably want that for their children, is for their children to turn out like them a little bit, 
and to carry on the legacy. And so I think that's a, a thing to cherish, to one day that I can hand off Crossroads Church because I know it's going to be in good hands. That maybe one of my sons or one of the children in this church would grow to become a godly man and, and be the next pastor of Crossroads Church. That's a thing to, to think about and, and find beauty in. And our God does this as well. You know that? Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, he gives us this command, Be holy, for I am holy. Be like me. Be like your creator. Be like your God. Be like your Lord and be like your Savior because God is saying, I'm perfect. I do what's right in every scenario. I never cease loving people. And therefore, if you want to strive for what is best, strive for what is God. Be like your Father. Be like your Lord in all your conduct. Does it mean we're doing that right now? No, of course not. No one is perfectly holy right here as God is holy. But it's a hill to climb, isn't it? And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, how we're sort of ascending to this hill called sanctification, which means likeness to Jesus. And it's a really steep hill. It's a really hard climb. It's going to take the rest of our lives to get up that hill. But can you imagine getting to the summit? Can you imagine getting to the summit of that hill and for God on the last day to give you glory because you look like him? You look like Jesus. You thought like Jesus. You acted like Jesus. I think that's something to give our lives to. I can't think of any better purpose than for someone to say of me on the last day, you were like God. You acted like God. You went up the mountain and became like Jesus Christ. We've talked about our maker. We've talked about our design. Let's finish on our purpose. Because what's the point? What's the point of a lesson like this? Now, I'm going to share a little bit of a story with you. When I was in my mid-20s, I don't know if you can see those pictures, but I, there were a few things that I wanted to, to be. And these weren't really the things I wanted to be growing up. Growing up, I thought I'd be like a professional baseball player until I realized you have to be good at baseball <laughs> to do that. And I, I was really bad at baseball. So that dream died pretty quickly. But uh, in my mid-20s, I was floundering a little bit, going to college and trying to figure out life. And there were kind of like three professions that I thought, if I could do any one of these, I would be happy. One was a comedian. I just like making people laugh. I've always liked making people laugh. I thought, that'd be kind of a fun profession. So maybe I can be a comedian. Number two, I like sports. I've always liked sports. My dad likes sports. I like sports today. And I thought, maybe what a fun profession it would be just to talk about sports all day and get paid for it. That'd be kind of wild. Number three, I like to write. My dad was a writer. My dad was an author. Christy likes to write. I like to write. I don't know exactly how good I am at it, but I enjoy writing. And I thought if I could be any one of those three, then I would be a happy individual. I really did. So I thought if I could get one of those jobs, that would be the best purpose I could find. And then I kind of found something in my mid-20s that allowed me to do all three at the same time. And this is kind of the story I'm going to share with you. In my mid-20s, I'm about 26 years old, I started a sports podcast. Now, some of you know that I do a podcast, and I do it on Wednesdays as part of our Together for Christ, and it's a devotional. And I call it a podcast because it's hilarious, and you guys never get tired of hearing that joke. But in, in my mid-20s, I started a podcast that wasn't about the Bible. It was about sports. And I started a sports podcast that allowed me to put humor into it. And I did it every day with a friend. We started to do this, this podcast, and we did it every day, and we really liked it. And I was writing scripts and sort of, sort of you know, articles for this thing. And I was, I was doing all three in the same thing, and it was, it was a blast. I, I, was, I got to be funny. I got to talk about sports, and I got to write. 
And I found a, it wasn't really a job because no one was paying me for it. <laughs> that was the problem. Um, but I was having fun. And, and not only was I having fun, but this little podcast that we started about basketball started to get popular. And we did it, we did it every day. We did it a lot. And we, we did it with humor. It was about an hour long every day. It took a lot of time. But we started to get a lot of subscribers. And it started to sort of take off. And this is before like YouTube was a real big thing and iTunes. But we started to get kind of popular. And we started to get a bunch of emails flooding into our email about questions and compliments and people telling us from the Czech Republic, no lie, uh, how much they love our podcast. And some guy in France says, oh, I listen to it on my subway ride every day. Like, it's so amazing. You guys are so good at this. And it, it was becoming really fun and really exciting. And hundreds of people were subscribing. And I thought, man, this is a lot of fun. I was 26 years old. But it was the exact time of my life, the exact time of my life, that God decided to set my eyes on Jesus Christ. It was the exact, two of these things were happening at the exact same time. I was finding something I was really loved and really was passionate about. And at the same time, everything inside of me was changing. Because I saw Jesus in a way I'd never seen it before. And I remember going to my friend one time we were about to record a, a podcast. He came over, we were about to record a podcast, and I said to my friend, I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, what do you mean? He goes, this is going fantastic, better than we ever could have imagined. It's, it's the best thing we've ever done together. And I said, I know, but there's no, there's no purpose to it. I said, there's no value to it. I'm not changing anybody's life. And I said, I don't want to do it anymore. And we stopped cold turkey. I didn't do one more podcast. We just shut the whole thing down, and emails came in kind of angry. <laughs> And I didn't do any more. And it wasn't because it was wrong. It's because it wasn't right enough. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't about Jesus. And it was that time in my life that the Lord got my eyes on Jesus. And said, Todd, I'm going to use every aspect of those three, but in a way that you can't even imagine yet. Because I've created you with a purpose. And the question for all of us as we sit here tonight is, why are we here? Why are we here? Not how did we get here. We answered that question already. Why are we here? Why do we sit here today? Why did we wake up today on January 14th on a Sunday? Why are we here? You ever ask that question? What is my purpose for being here? I think we need to ask that question. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, the prophet says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are are the clay, and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. That's how the prophet saw it. Not only is me my father, but he's the potter, and I'm the clay. In this relationship, this, this is me, and this is God. And if I understand that correctly, then I don't get to say what God makes me for. I don't get to say for what I want to do. My only purpose in this life is whatever God intended me to do, whatever he created me for. Because he's the potter, I'm the clay, and I am the work of his hand. So the best answer to that question is, God, what do you want me to do? And my dad used to say that question. He used to say, we're asking the kids of today the wrong question by saying, what do you want to do? Because we all ask kids that question. What do you want to do with your life? What does he want to study? What do you want to go into? And my dad said, that's the wrong question. We should ask, what does God want you to do? What has God created you for? Because he's the potter and we're the clay. And do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do with us whatever he wants? Whatever he desires? 
I'm really dating myself here today, but there was a Christian song in the 80s, I believe it was. You guys have probably never heard of this artist. Josh, ever heard of Benny Hester? Yeah, that's going back a ways. Kind of my age, though. Maybe it's possible. Anyways, we used to listen to the song. It was on one of those comp- compilation CDs. That, CDs. It was probably like an 8-track. Um, cassette tape that we had. And I, I just, I remember the lyrics of the song because, I don't know, the song was pretty and I liked the lyrics of the song and I decided to look it up. I don't know if you can read this, so I'm going to read the lyrics of the song. It's called, Nobody Knows Me Like You. The lyrics go like this. In the beginning, I never knew just how much I really needed you. More than a friend, someone I could talk to. You've changed me in so many ways. The chorus says, nobody knows me like you. You put your arms around me, you bring me through. There's many times I don't know what to do. Though some know me well, still nobody knows me like you. All of my secrets to you I tell. You saw each time that I slipped and fell. All of my faults, yes, you know them well. But you've never turned me away. Walking in your presence, remember the title of our series, is where I want to be. You said in your word, you said that you would lead me. Yes, I love you. Oh, I really love you. I'll go anywhere as long as I know you'll be there. And he finishes by saying, all of those nights that I was afraid, I stood on the promises that you have made. The way that I act sometimes, I am ashamed, but you've never turned me away. No, no. It's a beautiful song, isn't it? With beautiful lyrics and a little bit of an 80s style. But the scriptures say something very similar to this. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet there was none of them. I've had eight children, and I've been able to watch eight pregnancies and see eight children develop in the womb with some of the technology they have today, and it's always such a marvel to see them from a little peanut to the children that I have today. It's just a, it's an amazing thing to behold. It's just so worshipful. And yet to realize that God not only created us physically, but, but spiritually and, and mentally and, and emotionally. And, and the way that he's created us is beautiful and it's on purpose and it's, it's because of something and it's for something. It's for a very powerful purpose and I can't think of any better purpose in this life and a better series to teach than walking with God. Because we don't have to be everything, do we? We don't have to know everything, do we? We don't have to be strong even, do we? We simply have to walk with our God and everything will fall into place. Enoch got that. I don't know how Enoch got that when other people didn't, but the light bulb went on for Enoch and Enoch said, all I need to do is walk with God and I'll do everything right. Everything that I should be done should be done simply by following his pattern. What's our point today? We're application before we close. Number one is to walk with our creator each and every day. And we're going to flush that out in these next series, these next lessons about what it means to do that. 
but simply to walk with your creator every day, for that to be our goal from sunup to sundown, to walk with him, not before him and not lagging behind him, but to walk with our creator each and every day. Are you doing that to some aspect? Do you walk with God? Do you listen to him? Do you talk to him? Do you seek out his will? Number two is to find our purpose in serving his will because there is no greater purpose. In fact, there is no other purpose than serving the will of our maker, our potter, our father, our God. To find your purpose in serving his will. Once you find that purpose, you never go back. Never. And number three, to delight in the fact that we are most alive when we are most like Jesus Christ. And that's why I believe that those who have passed on in the faith are the most alive right now. Because they're in the presence of the Lord and they're most like the Lord that they've ever been before. That is the greatest delight of any soul. When, they are, when it's said of them on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. Like Enoch probably heard the day that he arrived at heaven. Enoch, well done. You walked with God. You walked with God. And therefore, as Jesus said, a very simple but profound phrase, you don't need to do a lot in this life, but follow me. Follow me, and I will take you to places you couldn't imagine. I will accomplish things with you that you never could have done on your own strength. Follow me, and everything will fall into place. And I hope that you believe that today. It is our first lesson on walking with God. Let's bow and pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful to be your children. And Father, we're not as thankful as we should be. I'm sure we take this for granted like I do that we are crafted and created to be like you after your image, to be loved by you, to know you, to walk with you, and one day to be with you forever. Father, we, we gloss over that too many times, and I pray today that we would, we would simply look at that again. If nothing else, this is a good reminder today of how the world should look, how our worldview should be when we see God and we see Jesus, and we realize that our purpose comes from our Maker. Father, take this series and use it for your glory and let us all learn how to walk with you better so that you can be pleased and we can be blessed. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing one more song together?